I'm delighted today to have Emma Chichester Clark in the reading corner. And I'm sure many people know that after studying graphic design and an early career working in a design studio, acclaimed children's book creator Emma Chichester Clark entered into the children's book world with her debut book, Listen to This, an anthology of short stories for reading aloud. For this book in 1988, she was awarded the Mother Goose Award for Best Newcomers. Since then, she's collaborated with many authors, including Michael Morpurgo, you've probably seen The Pied Piper and Pinocchio, Geraldine McCochran for Greek myths and Roman myths, and her former tutor, mentor and friend, Quentin Blake, The Three Little Monkeys. And I think there are three books in that series. She's also written and illustrated her own stories, too many to mention individually, but Blue Kangaroo series, Bears Don't Read, Bunny Wunny. And today in particular, we're going to be talking about her latest book, which is Mr. Toots. Welcome into the reading corner, Emma. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So I'm just going to say a little bit about Mr. Toots. It's a story of this little blue creature with a sort of elf-like hat who one day in a storm arrives on the doorstep of a dog-like creature. In fact, I think the whole world is populated with dogs. This dog is called Bella and she immediately welcomes Mr. Toots into her household (laughs) and he soon makes himself part of the family. Tell us a little bit more about the story though. Well, the story began quite differently. In fact, um, Mr. Toots was a little man, a miniature man. He looked a little bit like a a banker, like the father of the children in um, Mary Poppins in that old film. He looked like that and he was very small. And I liked the idea of having a little man in a doggy world, but everyone thought it was too peculiar. (laughs) So... So he changed. He changed into this creature, which I've made him so that you aren't really sure whether he's an alien or whether he's an elf, gnomey sort of creature. You just don't really know what he is. And the idea of the story was that he was, um, well, maybe possibly like a little refugee who needs help needs home, needs food, needs everything, doesn't speak the same language as the creatures that he's come to visit, and they welcome him with open arms. I was put in mind of another story that you'll know well, A Bigu by Alexis Dixon. But unlike that story in which the children welcome Bigu, but the adults don't welcome him into Mm. their world, in this story, the whole community rally round. And this little creature impacts the whole community. They're both enriched by his appearance. Yes, that's true. I'd forgotten all about Bigo, but that's absolutely a huge similarity. But luckily, Mr. Toots has arrived in a doggy world. And as you know, dogs provide unconditional love at all times. <laughs> So there isn't that thing that, that humans do. There's just a welcome. You'd started talking about a refugee 
like story. Yes. So my observation here is that we've quickly moved into talking about some of the themes and the ideas that underpin the story. Were they there at the beginning or did they actually emerge as you were creating the story? Yes, actually, they did. I mean, originally with the little man, he was lost and they rescued him and took him in. But when when it turned into this little creature, he became kind of more, more vulnerable and more childlike and obviously needed more help than, than the independent little man. And then he became much a part of the community that they lived in. There are all sorts of uncles and aunts and cousins who will fall in love with him. And one day he disappears. He floats away in a bloom that is hanging from a tree. It's obviously his and he's found it again. And he disappears off into the sky. And the little dog, the two children dogs and the mother are devastated, completely devastated, as are all the friends and aunts and uncles and so on. And so there's a period of of grief and mourning for this creature. And then one day he reappears, just when they're least expecting it. And he summons them, he drags them out of the house and makes them follow him. And they run and run and run. And there's a great long sort of line of them running and running and running after this creature. And then suddenly you see they all stop in amazement because they see coming out of the sky hundreds and hundreds of these blooms, each one with a basket underneath with a little creature, just like Mr. Toots inside it. Rather than being horrified and thinking they're being invaded or whatever, they're all thrilled and they all think, no, we can all have one, two. We can have one each. It's a bit like Madeline at the end of Madeline when the dog, Genevieve, has all her puppies and there's one for each child. One of the things that I wanted to explore was that your your stories are what I would call classic in the sense that both the visual feels very classic, but also your narrative, your textual narrative feels very classic too. And I did read elsewhere in another interview that you're not a fan of illustration that shows too much technique. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What does that mean? I think I'm frightened of it rather than not being a fan because I don't know how to do it, probably. I don't know. I think most illustrators these days know how to do things that I don't know how to do with Photoshop and all those things. I'm mostly like, oh, brilliant. But sometimes I feel that they're a little bit cold and um, flat and obvious. I quite like there to be a little bit of something held back. I don't want to be given everything. I don't want to have all of it on a plate. I like mm. I like um, subtlety and I really like pictures that show emotion, feeling. Mm. And sometimes that can be lost. There's something very direct between the hand and the material. Mm. And when you're talking about, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think when you're talking about the technology, it's there between you and the material. It's another interface. Yes. I mean, I think I know it's very useful. And and the designer at HarperCollins with this book has done lots of 
brilliant things, like the way she's faded out a lot of the pictures. Mm. Um, because some of them, quite a few of them, when I did them, I did them like sort of cartoon strips with hard lines around them. And she's pulled bits out and faded the edges and made them into little vignettes. It's really worked. It makes it all much softer and sweeter. I mean, those kind of technical things and being able to change the colour of a background mm-hmm. without having to do it yourself, paint it all out and get paint off and put it on, it all goes blotchy and horrible. And I've got plenty of pages like that. In fact, in the new, um, the latest monkey book, the Christmas one, there's a double page spread where I did the background so many times, even though it already had all the collage stuck on it. <laughs> and you can see these awful blotches, turquoise blotches where it's gone wrong. But strangely enough, it doesn't seem to show up that much. You don't, I don't immediately go, oh my God, look at that. Mm, lovely. And do you mix your porridge? Is it mainly with ink? Well, it's a huge mixture. It's inks and sometimes it's a bit of gouache and sometimes it's a bit of acrylic and crayons. And recently I've been doing some oil painting, but I don't know how I, if I could ever do a book with oil painting, but I'd love to. And it made me use different colours, a lot of rich, rich pinks. And I've discovered that you can just go on and on and on over and over the top. There's nothing to be frightened of, really. I always thought they were frightening. But you can just keep going till you've got it how you want it. You've started uh, mentioning colour there, and that is one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, the colour palette uh, for this book, which seems to be predominantly you've got the blue of Mr Toots and the yellow of the dog. And then background, this a lot of background in this very pale green, and then quite a vibrant pink picking up in things like clothes and so on. Those seem to me to be the four predominant colours. And I'm interested to know whether you get that straight away or whether you have to think about the colour, whether you're going after a particular feeling and it reflects that feeling. Mm. Well, the yellow, I was very keen on the yellow at the beginning. And I think that's another throwback from Madeline. And actually, from whenever I do a book, I do a mood board first. I do work out what the colours are going to be. I generally go through magazines like interiors and tear pages out and I make a collage of colours and patterns and things that I have in front of me so I so that I have an idea of a theme for a book and the yellow dogs had been around for a long time in my head in notebooks and and they're still there I still want to do more of them not necessarily this family but I I can't seem to get away from this yellow dog so it was just the colours that went with yellow. And Mr Toots is almost entirely blue, different shades of blue, but he's really a blue character. I tried different colours with Mr Toots, but if he'd been green, he would have looked like an elf. And if he were pink, he would have looked like a baby. Or red, he would have looked like a little devil. So blue is a kind of peaceful but childlike and sort of serious colour. Mm. I couldn't decide about the colour of his face for ages. I thought it was going to be a pink face, but it had to be blue in the end to keep him sort of anonymous. 
I want to talk a little bit about the relationship of words and images because this as a picture book it has quite a lot of words in it doesn't it this story and I thought it might help just to have a look at one or two pages uh, and talk about those together so I've picked a double page spread that's close to the beginning of the story when Mr Toots is welcomed into the family and we have five vignettes and the text weaves around them and I just wondered about the relationship of text to image here how do you decide what part of the story is best told through the words and what part is best told through the pictures oh that's a difficult question um it's when he's just arrived and and Bella is offering offering him a glass of water and offering him things to eat, cornflakes and broccoli. And the little creature's dreadfully hungry. And here it's the words are really more important in a way than the pictures, because it there's a lot to explain at this point. The fact that he doesn't seem to have eaten anything for a long time or had anything to drink. And then he gobbles it all up and and she, Bella, looks down at him. He's just staring at her. And she says, you don't understand a word I'm saying, do you? And she realises that there's no, not going to be any communication at all between them. Then the children rush in. And immediately they want to keep him. And at that point, he seems to rather relate to them. because They're about the same size as him, which you can see in the picture. Mm-hmm. He goes, toot, toot and waves his arms, and and everyone seems to relax. I think there were more pictures, but they weren't necessary. Do you draw every day, Emma? Is it something that you have to do? I think I do, but I, I don't know that it's that I have to draw. It's more like I have to work. It's a kind of an anxiety, maybe. If I'm not working, I'm feeling slightly anxious, or if I am not working for... A whole day, I have to justify it to myself somehow. But I, yeah, I generally get up, walk the dog, go to work, mm. and stop in the afternoon, walk the dog, go back to work, and go until the end of the arches. Most days, on an ideal day, that's mm. what I would do. There's no such thing as retirement for creative people, is there? Well, no. But I'm not planning to because I still find it exciting. I find the whole thing of having an idea, that's the best moment if you have an idea and you've got it cooking in your head. And then it's got to have somewhere to go. Mm. So you've got to be able to make a book. You've got to persuade somebody to publish it. And it just goes on and on like that. I can't imagine how to live without having that sort of excitement and Mm. something growing in your head. I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the other pictures in the book. And I I wondered if we could talk a little bit about composition and what makes a good picture. So I wanted to start with the picture of them coming together. And the text says, they loved him with all their hearts. And this is when Mr. Toots has really become absorbed into the family. And I'm just looking at the way that this family is grouped together and the shape that is around the family and the colours that you've used there. Tell us a little bit about it from your point of view. 
Well, I wanted to show, I suppose it's got a little bit of the virgin and the child about it in a way. It's a, it's a triangular shape, the three little dogs together. I do think about composition and I remember learning about composition. It was your eye is supposed to start at the bottom left and go zooming up in a diagonal and then across and then back down. And I try and remember about that, but it never really happens but I wanted it a bit like a Madonna and child with the light behind them and the shadows Mm -hmm. and the warmth of the colours just to make it as loving as possible and then there are three little chairs. Very soft isn't it when the pink goes into more pink? It blends back into Mm. it yes yeah. And then you've got almost like an egg shape around and there's something very cocooning about the egg it is it's eggy and cocoony and wombly isn't it Mm. (laughs) yes it's a big hug basically and then as you were talking about the triangular you know the classical triangular shape um just look at the the gaze and the eyes of these characters the mother's got the eyes closed and that's Complete. Almost like a reverie, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of complete love. Don't even have to look. It's just there in her heart. It's a beautiful image. I want to go to something that feels very different. And this is later in the story when all the Mr. Toots, all of his friends, companions, family, community, they come back in their balloons and they're greeted We've got a double page spread here Mm. and we've got all of the little blue people running towards this community of dogs, big space, little plenty of space for the text here. This to me seemed like a really clever composition, something that to me would feel very difficult to execute. Well, it was very tricky because I, I knew I wanted to be able to see them all at once. So it meant having the dogs with their backs to us, feeling the impact of these little tiny creatures rushing towards us. I think um, I needed it to contrast with the page before, where you see all the balloons coming down and the dogs are close up, looking, looking up at these little balloons pouring out of the sky. And so the camera comes back a bit, if there were a camera, and you you see them all at once from slightly from above. Was mm. Having them seeing them from above was the only way really that I could get everyone in and make that space mm. in between them, so that it's the moment before they they reach each other. That so bit where Heathcliff and Kathy are running across the, <laughs> the moor with their it, arms spread, and it's just that moment before they touch very dynamic it has got that feeling of movement in it and listening to you talking about cameras do you think that I mean this is going back quite a long way but do you think because we have photography and film that it has enabled artists to think differently about the way they paint yes I do think that because we look at images all the time and so we're given all sorts of tricks, really. 
I think at Quentin, I remember him saying how he treats each double page spread as a stage set with, you know, people coming in from left and right, whatever. And I love the idea of camera angles and zooming in and zooming out. Very, It's very much part of composing a book mm-hmm. because you want each page to be a surprise. You don't always want to be at the same angle. You don't always want to have the characters right in front of you, face on, you know, doing whatever they're doing. You want to see them from different places and you want to see what's around them and how they fit into a landscape. Mm. And um, and it helps with creating atmosphere enormously. I think one of the things that I really appreciate in your books the ones that you've written and illustrated yourself is that they are books that in my experience children want to read so a question about whether you have children in mind when you create the book whether you're trying to present a child's eye view of the world or are you just trying to connect with your own childhood well I don't have any children of my own I have some stepchildren and I think the only way I can do it is by connecting with my own childhood. And I think most of the stories that I write are, especially Blue Kangaroo, they're nearly all sort of childhood injustices <laughs> that I suffered and remember. And I think that most of my books are about feelings of some kind or another, whether it's feeling left out or feeling you haven't got something that somebody else has or feeling afraid of something. They're nearly all emotions and feelings that I relate to from childhood. And they feel very real and to me now still I can I can feel all that stuff. Just to go back to Mr. Toots for a moment, we've talked about that as a refugee type story, if you like. But on the other hand, Mr. Toots is also a child seeking love from his mm-hmm. family. So from a child, a child may not read into it the sorts of things that we've talked about. They might just be feeling that this is wonderful because this, this is how I want to feel within my family. Yes, and that you can go away and come back and you're still going to be loved. I think that's a bit of a theme I have as well. Mm-hmm. which comes into the plum dog books about, you know, you can behave really badly and um, do dreadful things, but you are going to be forgiven and you can come back and your family is still going to be there to love you and protect you. I wanted to just uh, spend the last little bit of our time together talking a little bit about, obviously, you've got this long-time friendship, working partnership with Quentin Blake and because so many of our listeners are teachers I wanted to ask you a little bit about what made Quentin such a great teacher. He was a wonderful teacher he was really good at knowing what you needed each student I mean, he used to bring in books that he knew would be the right book for each person and he just taught me the most basic things as well as moving me on to the next big thing, kind of. He taught me about how to do roughs, (laughs) which I used to struggle with. And he taught me that you do them very small, very, very small, and then you blow them up. But 
if you did them small, you generally got everything in the right place. Much, much easier anyway. He also taught me how to work on a light box. He taught me how to choose the right paper to work on because they're so different, all the kinds of papers that you can use. And they different things happen with different paints, the way it absorbs it and so on. And he's been just a fantastic support ever since. He was terrifying when he looked through my portfolio because he never used to say anything, stand there in silence, watching him leafing through with no expression and no words. But then at the end, he always said something pertinent, just right. And he wrote The Three Little Monkeys for me when I was sort of starting out. But I had just managed to write a book myself about monkeys, which was being published by Anderson Press. And so I didn't do it. And it got put in a drawer. And it was just like about, I suppose, five years ago that I fished it out again. And Harper Collins took it. And there it is. And there are now three of those books and a fourth to come. I want to just take a few points from what you've said there about the qualities of teaching, because I think they're things that we could all think about. That idea of putting the right book, the right thing into somebody's hands, you can do that if you really get to know your pupil, your student as a person, so you're connecting with them in terms of what they need. And then you said something else that I think is really important for teachers, because that silence. Sometimes we can say too much. Sometimes it's better to say less. No, exactly. I did teach myself actually for a while at Middlesex Polytechnic, and I was teaching second year students. And there was no structure. You just had to go and find them in the studio. And then you'd look at their portfolio. And I had the same, that the silence when you're looking and you're trying to think what to say, what to say. And then something comes. Suddenly you know what it is. But it's very difficult. I think teaching is the most difficult thing in the world to know when you're being useful and when you're just interfering and irritating somebody. Emma, I absolutely love Mr Toots and it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining me in the Reading Corner. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you for having me. It's been great. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. This episode is generously sponsored by HarperCollins Children's Books. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.